live from Salt Lake City. This is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. Make some mistakes along the way, but uh, not tonight. We're going to do part three of our interview with McKenna Denson tonight, which we're going to roll in just a second. But a couple of things first. I'm standing next to a dear sister all the way from the Florida Panhandle where the storms are hitting. This is Robin with two Bs. Don't forget that. Robin with two Bs. And I've asked her. She is a fascinating human being and sister in the Lord. She's schooling me and teaching me and telling me things that I need to know. And I've really grown and learned a lot from her as we've sat and talked over the past few days. But uh, I asked Robin just now, no, no uh, pretense, no preparation. Is there anything you'd like to share with the audience? Robin, the mic is yours. Oh, thank you. Hey, how you doing? I'm Robin. Um, what I'd like to share, um, Sean, is that, uh, first of all, I want to thank the Father for allowing me to do his work. I've done his work all over the world, mostly in the United States. And when I go places, I, I say things that people uh, think is radical uh, a lot of the time. And so tonight I told Sean that I was going to um, say something radical uh, that I was hoping that he wouldn't faint when I finished what I was going to say. But I've done a lot of studying and I've looked at the scripture. I've been doing this for a long, long time. And um, believe it or not, the thing that, um, that is very uh, true and interesting about the New Testament, Sean calls it the apostolic story, um, is that I see in the scripture that Paul was brought in to uh, do the work of the kingdom because the apostles failed. Ooh. The apostles failed their job, and I can back that up with scripture. Um, two things, real quick. Yeah. Uh, first, um, when Yahusha, which is what his name is, um, when he gave them their instructions, he told them, wait for me in Jerusalem. And once you uh, get the gift of the Spirit in Jerusalem, they were to leave Jerusalem and spread out into all the world. Well, this didn't happen. And it wasn't until Stephen was killed that the Christians, thousands of them, actually spread out into the world and mm -hmm. did their job and went out and preached. But guess what the apostles did? The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Oh. Check it out. It says so in Scripture. And so... Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is that when you do the true works of the kingdom and the Father's blessing you, uh, because he will, um, you don't have to worry about things like money and financial stuff or um, anything like that. Uh, what was happening uh, when Paul started his thing and later on in the years that went by, he actually had to go and get the churches to gather money for the, the church in Jerusalem. Yes, he did. And they wouldn't accept it. They, they threw it back in his face. If you read the scripture, it shows you that. But anyway, because he said, I hope that, I hope they take this. Mm. But it was an insult to them. But anyway, the point was that 
if they were doing what they were supposed to do, then they would have been able to take care of themselves. Mm. And so it's in there. So we know that the apostles, um, they were martyrs. They never stopped believing. They were witnesses and they tell people, but their job was to go into all the world and they didn't like those Gentiles. Mm. And so they stayed in Jerusalem, they stayed with the Jews and Paul comes in and does his job. That's why the New Testament is mostly Paul. A fascinating insight mm -hmm. by my sister Robin. Mm -hmm. I did almost pass out. <laughs> I steadied myself and I remain standing and I appreciate you sharing that with us and give us more food for thought. True. That's all I ask you to do. Think about it. Thank you, my sister. All Thanks right. for being on. Bye, guys. All right. Really quickly, October 30th, Tuesday night, we are going to be announcing the most important thing we have ever done as a ministry. That includes after thousands of hours of this and that and television and, and uh, recordings and uh, baptisms and everything else. We're going to announce the thing I think that is the most important endeavor that we will or have ever uh, entered into. And we really hope you'll tell your family and friends and you'll tell our enemies to tune in so they can hear what this is all about because uh, very excited, feel very led, know I'm led of the Father by the Spirit in this. And so uh, tune in October 30th, Heart of the Matter, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. And now we go to part three of McKenna Denson. All right, welcome back with McKenna Denson. This is part three. We'll see how long this goes. It could go to a part four, we don't know. We're letting the Spirit guide as it were. I <laughs> uh, really enjoyed our time together and uh, we've just finished lunch so we could have some burps, um, but we've had a, a good time. Considering the gravity of this uh, situation, this subject, uh, she's a really delightful guest. So let's get right back into it. We left off. Uh, oh, but first, an announcement. The shirts at this point from New Name Noah are uh, a reward, I'm, I'm hearing. They are a gift to people for certain things, certain support, whatever it is. If you have a shirt, you're one of the lucky ones. However, I'm guessing that if there was enough demand that perhaps some entrepreneurial spirit would step up and start printing these and getting them to you. So right now though, just to let you know, uh, you, you're gonna have to let New Name Noah know, I want one of those shirts. He'll maybe take a list and then maybe he'll say, okay, we'll start producing them. And if I were him, I'd sell them for a thousand bucks each so he can get his funding. Okay, so McKenna, we've left off. You have recorded Joseph Bishop yes. secretly. You've run out of the hotel. And what year was that? Where are we? And what happens next? That was December 2nd, 2017. So that was not that long ago. And this thing has blown up because you have gotten some amazing uh, exposure, coverage. Mm -hmm. And so look how, that, how quickly that happened. What happened first? You've got the recording. I've got the recording. Um, I flew back to Colorado and I gave it to my friend Rebecca and I, um, I listened to it. And, I, and, it, and it made me even more angry because up until I believe that the church was true, that there were people in the church maybe that weren't good people, but the church itself was true and, and the general authorities were all good, God-loving men. 
Um, but there was a part in the interview with Joseph Bishop where I learned that that wasn't true, that the church really, the church leadership is not as um, wonderful as I thought they were. And that's when Joseph Bishop says, he's talking about being a mission president in Argentina. And about three years before he raped me, he had a sister missionary in Argentina that was overcome with evil spirits. And he felt like he was then being overcome with evil spirits. And so what he did was he called Robert Wells, who was the general authority over that part of South America. Um, and he went and he gave uh, Joseph Bishop a blessing and another stake president gave him a blessing. And then Joseph Bishop said that he confessed all of his sexual sins to President Wells or Elder Wells, this general authority. So I'm listening to this conversation that I'm having with Joseph Bishop and I'm, and I'm at the same time, it's a little bit surreal. So I'm pulling back a little bit going, wait a minute. He talks about some sexual inappropriate activity and then he tells Elder Wells all, about all of those things. But instead of excommunicating Joseph Bishop or having a counsel or doing anything, getting him some help because by this time he says that he has a sexual addiction. Instead of doing anything about that, Elder Wells just lets him continue as mission president in Argentina and then he gets promoted to the MTC. So he's in charge of several hundred missionaries in Argentina for his three-year tenure. And then he gets promoted to MTC where he's in charge of several thousand missionaries at the MTC. So the general authorities knew that Joseph Bishop was a sexual predator and they did nothing, nothing. And that's when my shelf broke. That's when I kind of went, oh, wait a minute. And I had to really process that. And my little brain was going at the same time I was interviewing Joseph Bishop. But after I processed that, I was really angry. So let me ask you, just for clarity's sake, on the tape, he tells you that he met with Elder Wells and confessed his crimes, but uh, he could have said, I have bad thoughts. Do we know that when he confessed to Wells that he said, I've been having sex with missionaries or, or molesting them? I mean, there's a, there's a, a spectrum of confession. And, okay, yeah. let's revisit that. So if my confession to you as a general authority to save my soul, yeah. I'm being overtaken by demons, yeah. okay? Or I believe I am. I'm, when I'm confessing everything I can think of so that God will save my soul, yeah. I'm not confessing about masturbation. Right. What's the need? You know, when he talked about it, he talked about expressing every sin he's ever committed. Oh, okay. He was trying to save his damned soul. Okay. So that, that is what puts it in the box of Wells heard the dastardly deeds that he had done and nothing happened to him. Correct. Yeah, yeah well, I believe that. Uh, for a number of other uh, personal anecdotal stories I've had from my own life of men who have done similar things and nothing has happened to them. So I know it can certainly happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, the confession to Wells before the MTC, he's only promoted He's promoted and given access to a bigger pool Much of people. Much bigger pool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that happens to you. So right. what do you do after you're getting angry about listening to this tape? <clears throat> uh, well, I tried to find lawyers. And so I've, I've got this tape. And I reached out to some media outlets. 
um, New York Times responded and a company called Reveal. And Reveal is an investigative reporting team and they, they work with Dateline and other NPR. Um, so they spent a lot of time and a lot of money um, interviewing me and um, going through the recording and, and sort of cleaning up the recording because the sound quality wasn't very good. And they dropped the whole story. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Revealed it. Yes. Yes. They, just like that? Yes. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh, and your guess is? My guess is, um, so by the time I found my attorney, Craig Vernon, my friend Rebecca had sent some clips of Boy Scouts who had been abused and the attorneys that had sued the church and actually won, who had the courage to go up against this Goliath of a church. And so it was a firm in Idaho, in Boise. So I called them and said, look, I've got this tape. I've, I, here's what it says. It doesn't quite say, yes, I raped you. Um, it insinuates that, yes, I probably did. They were so busy, they said, we'd love to take your case, but we can't. This is like the 42nd or 43rd law firm I called. So he said, but I know someone who might be able to, and, and if, if he can, he's really good. I said, okay, what's his name? Craig Vernon. Okay, never heard of him. I've never heard of anybody. So I looked online and I sent this little summary. Here's my story, and it was um, close to Christmas, not quite Christmas. And um, he was on holiday somewhere, and his uh, paralegal, Narda, sent it to him, and he's like, yeah, I want to talk to her. So we spoke on the phone, and then he was my attorney. So I start working with Reveal and two reporters in particular. And so I've got this recording, and I gave it to a lot of people. I gave it to the media. I would have given it to the New York Times, but I, I was already working with Reveal, and I felt oh, you know, a sense of loyalty. So, <clears throat> so let's see what happened. I gave my recording to several people because I wanted it released. I didn't know if I was going to take a settlement or not. Part of what I was thinking was, we have no idea what a non-disclosure looks like. We have no idea what a settlement offer actually looks like. So what I really want is that number that they're talking about on a piece of paper with a non-disclosure, and I can give those to that some guy who's going to leak my recording and they can do it all at the same time, which turned out to be Mormon leaks, and I didn't even know who they were at the time. But Mormon leaks um, released my recording prior to my consent. And a lot of people were upset with them, felt like they had violated my trust or whatever. I don't agree with that. Um, I think Mormon leaks had to really consider we have this one victim of this man who is talking about all these other women. And if she takes a settlement and signs a non-disclosure, the story goes away. And all the victims are hushed. So they leaked it. And I think they did the right thing. Whether we had a non-disclosure to go with it or not doesn't matter. So I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, there is no amount of money that I would take to do certain things in my life. Um, I could be offered a billion dollars to turn from Jesus, my, my, my faith in Jesus. It would never happen. But if it was something that 
I felt wronged in that had nothing to do with like a, a principle. If if someone offered me ten million dollars because a bishop uh, uh, raped me, I might just do it because I. That's a great. That's a really great enticement. And and I might go silent for that. Was that was that enticing to you? Did you consider if they give me enough money, I'm not going to become a spokesman against the. I, I didn't know. I, I wrestled with it, and my friend Catherine and I talked about it a lot. Mm. And for me, it was, after I had that recording, I knew there were other people out there, but those people didn't come forward. Hadn't, as far as I knew. Yeah. So I struggled with, here's my life. I, the, a large amount of money would make my life so much more simple. And it would also give me money to fund other people who want to come forward and can't. Like right now, financially, I am absolutely tapped out. So, and I know what it takes now. I, I couldn't even comprehend what it really takes to go through a case like this. So, but in my mind, I thought, well, my story's going to be out there anyway. We have the tape. What more do they need? But then there's a part of me that said, oh, you know, I think I really need to be more vocal. But the question was, did I want to put myself out there? Because once you're out there, there's a lot of ridicule, there's a lot of shaming, there's a lot of negativity. Um, and I thought, yeah, I think I do want to do that. I think I do. So, but then it was taken away from me. I didn't have a choice after Mormon Lake put it out there. And I was really glad they did because I didn't have to make that hard choice. It was made for you. Yeah. Your daughters, four daughters, how do they stand with you on this? Mom has stepped out. Are they really proud of you? Three of them are. Oh, is there one who's not? Wow. One of them supports Joseph Bishop and his family. No kidding. Yeah, right alongside my ex-husband. Mm -hmm. Wow. Reach out. And... That's got to be very painful. Oh, you have no idea. No, I don't. But I think you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But she's very TBM. I see. Okay, well, you got to support the, the cause, you know. Yeah. And so, and you mentioned, we'll get, maybe we'll touch on this again, but you mentioned the shamers. Uh -huh. Is that coming through Facebook and, and, and texts or emails and things in public? What, who's it coming from? Are they saying it's your fault? I mean, what, what does the shamer say to somebody? You shouldn't have brought this up. Get over it. Get over it. It was a long time ago. You don't need to destroy his life now. Ah. Um, let it go. That yeah. would be like the rationale. Come on, don't rock the boat. Mm. That long ago, okay. Yeah. And then how do you respond to that I don't. insulting? I don't respond, mostly. If, if you were to respond in your mind or here for us, what do you say to that? That what happened was a crime. Okay. It should have been prosecuted the way the policies are run in the church. Something happens to someone, whether it's a male or a female, a child or an adult, it should not be pushed aside as if it doesn't matter. The survivor or the victim matters. Their story matters. For some reason, the policy in the church is to protect the priesthood leader yeah. every single time. Yeah. Um, that policy needs to change. People need to be able to tell their story, have their story heard, have their story believed, and whoever has been a perpetrator in any kind of, of criminal activity needs to be held accountable. And I also felt like the church really let Joseph Bishop down. Hey, talk about that. What do you mean by that? Well, in this recording, when I'm interviewing him, he, t he says, I'm Joe, I'm a sexual predator. 
and he says he has an addiction. He's had a lifelong addiction. He's been a sexual predator his whole life. Two of his sons are, are never mind, that's redacted. Um, he says that, he, so he's had this problem his whole life. So now he has taken the opportunity to confess all of his sexual sins, all of his other sins, whatever those are, probably normal ones like you and me have, um, to this general authority. And instead of this general authority loving him and comforting him and saying, look, I love you, we're going to excommunicate you because that's what we do and we're going to put you in treatment over here because we can help you and you can learn to love yourself. They didn't do that. They just swept it under the rug, patted him on the head, patted him on the butt, and off he went. So they allowed that entire scenario to fester and continue until, you know, things got worse yeah. for him. So I think they let him down as well. He could, have, he could be right now 85, 86 years old and um, happy, content with his life and the way that he has turned himself around. He doesn't have that opportunity now. I'm going to throw something that's going to sound like a real curveball at you. Oh, I think I can take it. Uh, but the, the something I'm going to throw at you is that on the one hand, what you're saying, if I can rephrase this and correct me, that confession is good for the soul and that um, uh, some sort of uh, process by which a person faces their demons, works through it, confesses it, and then gets the proper help um, that would have been good for Joseph Bishop. But on the same time, we are fighting in some sense against that very thing that does help. Uh, like what, so the, if I was in the LDS church, I'd say, look, it's good for people to confess. It's good for people to face somebody with their sins and to talk about them and have them give them discipline. Uh -huh. So we're, we're talking about something that is is difficult it's not black and white here when it comes to all the stuff out there right now orbiting around all these topics you know do you understand what i'm trying to say i think i think you're trying to say that it's healthy and good for someone to be able to confess their sins to someone and get it off their chest and move forward and get some kind of help in moving forward and, and to pay for it really but but you're talking about sin I'm talking about a crime. I'm talking about criminal activity, yeah. which cannot be paid for with a confession. And so that's the difference is you thought Wells should have taken him to the courts, that it should have been not a, an ecclesiastical excommunication. It should have been, you need to go to, we're going to break this confidence that we've shared here, and I'm, you're going to jail, buddy. Is that what you're saying? based on the things that I that he probably told Elder Wells yeah, yeah. but even beyond that even, even if they didn't go that far because we know the church doesn't do that the church doesn't like the police involved in anything they should have taken him even as a loving brother and said we're going to excommunicate you get you back to where you need to be and let you start this process again he could have been excommunicated gotten counseling gone, gone back to jail well, I don't know at that point. I don't know everything that oh, okay. he confessed. Of me, absolutely, he yeah. should have gone to jail. Afterward, definitely. Right. So at that time, I don't know, but he should have been excommunicated based on the things that he mentions in that recording. So they didn't do that. They didn't excommunicate him so that he didn't get any help. He never went to therapy for his sexual addiction or predation. So yeah, I think the church really did him a disservice. So 
So this, and this is just opinion on your part, McKenna, but so what you're saying is that if confession involves a crime, that's one thing. If confession involves a, a non-crime, you don't handle those in the same way. Are you saying that? Absolutely. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, we're taught in the church that if, if someone hurts you, if your father is assaulting you sexually, or you have a high school teacher or whatever, you go to the bishop because they're in the ward or right. they're in the stake. You go to the bishop, you don't go to the police. That's the policy right now. Right. You go to, to the bishop, the bishop has a hotline. This is Christie's whole platform. Right, yeah. exactly. And the, the bishop has this hotline to call and it's a help. And what it is is it's a conduit into Curtin McConkie, which is the attorneys. And they assess how much damage this particular scenario is going to cause the church. They decide what to do with this scenario. They do it with every single one. Because we're not allowed to go outside the church. We're told it's wrong. It's That's why I asked the question, because you're exposing the, the uh, heinous nature of this system, is that it's all to protect the church. Mm -hmm. In the end, they didn't care really about Joseph Bishop. No, and they didn't care about McKenna about, Denson. Right, so exactly. Yeah, they cared they about don't the care about the anybody to tell you the truth except themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So really good. I'm glad you went through that with me because I think that's important for people to understand that uh, they did do a disservice to him as an individual mm -hmm. because it was all in the name of protecting themselves. Well, same thing with pedophilia. Yeah. You know, we, we know there's a lot of pedophilia in the church, but those pedophiles aren't necessarily sent to jail. Police aren't called. Right. It's, it's all hush-hush and forgive you just yeah. need to forgive you need to get move on with your life and you need to forgive and yeah. put this behind you and yeah that's all well and good but then this person is free to do it again yeah. and they will do it again yeah. so okay. I think that's a really bad and dangerous policy but if you were a bishop if I were a bishop of course I can't be but if I were if I were a bishop I would want that level of protection. I, would want, I wouldn't want somebody to say, hey, I went into my bishop and my bishop fondled me or molested me or did whatever. I would want someone else in there so they could say, that didn't happen because I was there. Yeah. So there's, there's that level of protection for, for the church too. as well. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so uh, where were we? I'm getting a little bit groggy. Uh, you ate too much. I, I did, I'm just groggy. Uh, what is the, um, so you have got the recording, it's got, it was leaked by Mormon Wiki. Mormon Leaks. Mormon Leaks. Ryan McKnight. Ryan McKnight. Yeah. He did it without your permission, but you still think that was a good thing? He did it without my consent. Oh, no. tell me Not what the difference is. So I wanted, if, if that was going to be released, I wanted to decide first if I was going to take a settlement or not. I was leaning toward not which meant I wanted a copy of the letter, mm -hmm. the non-disclosure agreement, and, and the offer and letter the offer, right. to go with it. And if Ryan had known that, he would have held off. I see. But he didn't know me. He I didn't, see. he, yeah. Okay. And so it gets out. It gets out. And what happens? Settlement is now off the table. Just like that? Oh, yeah. The church creates a dossier on me. It's about five pages long. Um, some of it's true, some of it's, I don't know where that came from, and some of it would be true, except they twisted it so much that it's not even true. So that dossier, um, so I have a criminal record, I have two shoplifting charges, I had a DUI in 2000,
2007 or 2008. I think it was 2007. Um, I'm currently involved in, in a felony charge. I dated a man in Kentucky. Um, I had to move to Colorado for child custody. He helped me get a townhouse in Colorado Springs. When he found out I wasn't coming back, he called the police and said, I didn't sign that lease, but he did. Anyway, that goes to trial October 15th. We'll win that, no problem. Um, they put those things in there, but then they also added my ecclesiastical record. Nice. Yeah. So I have had different, um, so I had a, a neighbor that drugged our orange juice at my house. My girls lost some time. Um, then he raped me and the police came. By the time we did the rape kit, the rape kit, there wasn't enough evidence there. And they couldn't prove that he put the drugs in the juice. So, his, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, the church is saying, well, look, she has a history of this. She has a history. So, they, one thing they also did, though, in this dossier was they um, put out my daughter Jessica's name. Okay, before we talk about Jessica, which is just unbelievable that they did this. It's in our nature uh, to want to assign blame to people. We want to besmirch characters for some reason or another, and when we do it, it allows us to think that they are part, they are the cause of the problem. The church knows this. That's why I like when the first thing that came out about me was that I was an adulterer. When I went out against the church, the first thing that came out was I was an adulterer. And uh, on live TV, I said, yes, I've been an adulterer because that's what they do. They assassinate the character of the accuser. Yes. And we all do that to some extent for some sick reason that's in our nature. How much do you think all the shit you've been through as a kid contributed to the existence of those things that are on your record? Well, I didn't think they did until I started trauma therapy. Mm. And now I understand that a lot of my history is trauma-based. Got it. So I understand better now, but I, I didn't necessarily understand then. Yeah. So um, I own everything I've ever done, but I am not about to own something that I didn't do. Sure. But the church thought that that, the, they thought that that dossier would make me curl up into a ball oh. in a closet, cover my head and just cry and go away. And I was catatonic when I read that. I was catatonic. I was, I lost my mind for a few hours. Wow. And then I came out of that and I went, wait a minute. And I went through it line by line. And then my attorney called and he said, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. I was like, oh, I just got fired. My attorney just fired me. So I thought, okay. Next day came, we did a conference call. I have two law firms, one in Salt Lake and one in, in Coeur d'Alene. So we went through it line by line. I said, yes, I did this. Yes, I did this. This I didn't do, but here's what happened. So I guess you can kind of say I did that. Anyway, we went through it line by line. They're like, okay, no problem. So I thought, oh. So then I thought, you know, the things that they put in there are, um, so my ex-husband, bless him, has um, incessantly done whatever he could to damage me. And, and we haven't been married for like 27 years. So when I was pregnant with my daughter, Emily, I had just finished my first trimester and so I was still pretty nauseous, but I, I was doing well. Nicole and Amanda were starting junior high school for the first time. So that meant 
You only have to take the kids one school instead of over here and then over here and then over here and then over here. So my girls and two of their friends and then two of my adult girlfriends, we all went to this restaurant in Color Springs called P.F. Chang's. And we all had dinner. And there, we ordered the Great Wall of Chocolate, which is like the seven-layer chocolate cake with raspberry drizzle. So I didn't want any cake, but, you know, we're all sharing. It's P.F. Chang's. So the girls all had some cake, and then they passed it to my friend. She passed it to me. And I just took some frosting, and I passed it over, and then I felt something in my throat. Kind of like, you know, when you eat a tortilla chip, but you don't chew it up all the way. So I got some water, and instead of, you know, I didn't want to spit it out, so I just started to swallow, and there was blood coming out of my throat. So they called the ambulance. I went to the hospital, and they did some x-rays, and there was like this little triangle piece of, um, looked like a piece of jewelry. And it was, you know, kind of like right around here. So they waited, and then a few hours later, they did another one. It broke into three pieces. So we're like, what kind of jewelry is that? So they sent me home with um, a bottle of liquid laxative. So I went home and I was like, you know, I just don't feel good about this. So I called my girlfriend whose um, husband is a doctor and he said, don't take any laxative. Go back to the hospital. You don't know what you swallowed. Go back to the hospital and demand to see an OBGYN. So I did. And they operated. And there were seven pieces of razor blade, box cutter blades that were all stuck together. Real small. They weren't even very big. And that's what I had swallowed. So. The baby was fine, I was fine, but my ex-husband and his wife called some detective in Colorado Springs and said she did that to herself, she was trying to kill her baby. And so I, this detective calls me in and he's like, well, so I know you did, you know, anyway, this whole interrogation thing, I'm like, really? Uh, no. That's the kind of stuff they do. So that was one of the things on this dossier, that she tried to kill herself and her baby by swallowing razor blades, you know. So some of what they got was from my ex-husband. Got it. You know, you don't go to somebody who knows you, you go to somebody who hates this person sure. to get any information. So that's the kind of stuff that was on the dossier. And I thought, you know what, hell no. I am not, I am not putting up with this. So then I dug my heels in and I have not budged since. Not one minute since I say hell no. So the um, Curtin McConkie uh, doesn't represent the church in this case. They have outside counsel, um, David Jordan. Um, he came to Colorado Springs, and my attorney came, and we met. He just wanted, you know, he asked some questions, and one of the things he said to me is, "So when you were talking to Joseph Bishop McKenna, you asked Joseph Bishop if he had molested this other sister missionary." And I said, "Mm-hmm." He said, "Well." what did he say? He said, I said, he said yes. He said, well, what did that mean? What did he do to her? And I said, I don't know. I wasn't there. He said, well, what does it mean to be molested? And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you know, molestation's just a word. And I stood up and my chair almost fell over. I said, what the fuck did you just say to me? Are you serious? I lost my mind. I had to leave. I had to leave the room. My attorney's like, that was really insensitive, David. That was really insensitive. That's the kind of guy this is. This is the, they don't care. They just don't care. So, mm-hmm. And the other thing before we talk about your daughter and her being exposed in that dossier is the fact that 
it does not matter uh, what someone is guilty of in their life. If a crime has been perpetrated, a crime has been perpetrated. True. It doesn't matter. And that's, that's the sick thing about us is we think if the person has enough uh, marks on their record, then they somehow deserve some injustice. We're sick in our head about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. I really find that reprehensible uh, that they tried to do that with you. That's why Reveal dropped my story, was the dossier. Oh, uh, got it. They thought that I would not be credible. I would not look credible. Got it. And, and I'll tell you, that was really hard. That, that hit me really hard. Mm. Um, and then I thought, you know what? I'm okay with that. Mm. I am okay with that. I'm just going to go forward and people can hate me, shame me, whatever they want to do. This is where I need to go. And when I gave my press conference, it was my friend Rebecca and my two attorneys. And I didn't even know the ex-Mormon community existed. So I, I got there and I didn't even know what I was going to say yet. I just, I, there were a list of things that I wanted to point out, but I thought I was going to get anthrax through the mail, you know, yeah. letter bomb something. Um, I did not expect support. Mm. And so what's happened has been just a tremendous uh, blessing for me. Right. Yeah, I just have to throw one passage of scripture. It's in First Corinthians, and it says that God will use the base things of the world, the broken things of the world, the things that uh, have no value in the world, to overcome the things that are mighty. And uh, I've always believed that is important. Uh, that it is the broken, it isn't the powerful that God uses to reveal the truth. And uh, so I think you're doing wonderfully there. So the worst Thank thing you. about the story, from what I heard, McKenna was how they exposed a private adoption, completely sealed, secret adoption in the dossier. Tell us about that. So part of the dossier, um, yeah. So I, I have this beautiful daughter I give up to LDS Social Services in 82, and she goes in to this wonderful LDS family. I'm supposed to have faith that they're this wonderful LDS family. Turns out they really were, mm. and they really are. But they, the parents gave her a name, and they gave her the name Jessica Louder. And so they put her name in this dossier, so now it's available. Where did that come from? Because that was a sealed private closed adoption. In, mm. in 1982, I couldn't get, I, even today I can't get my records. Wow. I can, but I can't get everything. Mm. But now that we know each other, we, we met a while ago, I'll tell you how that started too. But you know, it was, we know everything about you and we're going to expose everything about you. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. Those efforts. That was part of it. And then the other part was a threat to all the other victims of Joseph Bishop, or perhaps other people that want to come forward and tell their truth. Yeah, you can do that if you want to, but we're, we're gonna do this to you. Oh, it's making me mad. Will you show the camera that finger that was chopped off for a minute? Will oh, you yeah. let us see that one more time? I want to see it individually. I can't really distinguish it from the others. Sorry. Yeah, I'm wanting oh. you to do this to these guys. So oh. that, yeah, there it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's perfect. Okay, good. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, uh, that, that's revealed in the doc. You're probably stunned that you have this name of the baby you've never been able to know or see. No, I know her now. I, I knew her. Okay, here's what, let me tell you how the church really works. This is how the church really works. Okay. So Jessica was a bit of a wild child. I don't know what that means. Um, 
So when she was 16 she, or 17, she was sent to a girls' camp, a girls' like a boarding school, because mm -hmm. she was very naughty. Okay. It's right here. I got oh, no, you got another one. Fresher. Okay. Um, so her parents were like, I don't know what's wrong with her. I, we can't control this girl. And she really was out of control. She stole her parents' car and drove to San Francisco from San Diego and was gone for a couple of weeks. You know, she really, she was a wild child. And uh, they didn't know what to do. So they called social services and said, is there anything in this woman's background that we need to know that might help? So they gave her parents 26 pages of information on me. Wow. And in that 26 or 27 pages are my interviews with my bishop when I got pregnant, social services, deciding whether or not to have an abortion, um, and my interviews with my therapist. Wow. So here, so Who was LDS? Yes, of course he was. This is communist China. Hmm. Oh my goodness. So she's 16, 17 years old, and so her parents give this to her therapist, this, this 26, 27 pages, and then the therapist gives it to Jessica. Now Jessica's been looking for me since she could walk. What she gets is she's the victim of a rape. Okay. What I didn't know, and I don't think her parents knew, was she had been raped two days before they sent her off to boarding school. Oh my goodness. So welcome to her world. Can you imagine? No. She talks about this in a podcast on Mosaic. She and I are together on this podcast. Um, so this isn't private information I'm revealing. She's already revealed this. But, you know, she had done her own investigation to find me. And she's pretty damn clever, that girl. In fact, she's been an international PI. Just saying. <laughs> I think it runs in the family. I think so. So, yeah, that was her introduction to her mom that she's been trying to find, you know, for years. So, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So the church did that. That was really dirty. So when the therapists, or excuse me, when the LDS Social Services handed this paperwork over to her parents, they said, you're not supposed to have this. Don't tell anyone we gave this to you. Keep it a secret. That's the whole thing with the Mormon church. Everything is secret. Did the louders keep it secret or did your daughter, and did your daughter reveal it or? The louders gave it to Jessica's therapist. They thought it would help her. And but, he, but the therapist just handed it to her. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was really wrong. Yeah. There's a lot of that information she shouldn't have had. Yeah. But today you have met your, Yeah. it's all. When she was 18, she flew out to Charleston, South Carolina where I was living. I see. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the result of all of this, the dossier, uh -huh. Uh -huh. the uh, your attorney, yes, uh, all of this. Vernon is the attorney. Craig Vernon. Mm -hmm. What's in play now? What is looming out there? And then let's talk about the recent trip that you took. Uh, what's in play right now with your attorney, the church, lawsuits, whatever? Okay, so we filed our federal lawsuit in April. Um, our press conference was the 5th. I think we filed our lawsuit the evening of the 4th. Okay. Um, I had to take a lie detector test, so I went to this. This was kind of a fun thing. I was really excited to go take this lie detector test because I knew I was telling the truth. Mm -hmm. So my friend Rebecca went with me and we went to Color Springs and we met with this polygrapher. He's done thousands, I think. I, don't, I can't tell you how many thousands, but it was a pretty high number. And so he asked me three specific questions. And one of the questions was, um, 
did you speak to Elder AC about your sexual assault at the MTC? And I said, yes. Did Joseph Bishop sexually assault you in the basement of the MTC? Yes. I can't remember what the other question was. It's on Radio Free Mormon, though, because I did a podcast with him. Which was a really good podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, he's amazing. So I was super excited about this. And he said, you know, people come in here, they're not excited to do a polygraph. I said, I'm ready. I'm ready because I know I'm right. I know I'm going to beat this. He said that I scored higher than anyone he has ever had take that test. Because wow. I was right. Wow. I was honest. That's that's right. Did Joseph Bishop have to take one? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and he probably never will. Huh. No, we did that voluntarily. Oh, okay. Well, you, yeah. as someone who's innocent would. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So you've uh, taken the polygraph, and the, what are the actual it? charges that you're bringing <clears throat> forward? Well, there were quite a few. We were, I, I, I want to be really careful because I don't want to well, misspeak. Yeah. So we had our polygraph there at the press conference. So we were charging the church with fraud, fraudulent concealment. Let's see, fraudulent concealment, Joseph Bishop for the rape, and fraudulent fraudulent concealment, I think, because they swept it all under the rug. Okay. So we had our oral arguments on my birthday, July 18th, and the judge allowed only one charge. So Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith. Freudian, Freudian. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Joseph Bishop. Direct connection. Oh, man. From the tree comes the fruit. <laughs> oh, crikey. <laughs> so um, Joseph Bishop, has been released of all charges. So he, because of the statute of limitations, oh. he cannot be prosecuted or civilly sued for the rape itself okay. or for fraudulent concealment. Oh. Um, so we know, we believe that um, he worked with the church to conceal it all, to keep it all a secret. Mm. And the judge, the only, the only thing that, that made it through our oral arguments was fraudulent concealment with the church. The, the church knew covered it up got it so and uh what's the what's the prognosis what's the time frame here are we looking at 10 years are they going to tie you up no our trial date is set for march 2020 march 2020 and the church has put out a statement somewhere that i read um that we'll have a settlement hearing in march of 2019 oh. And that will it all occur here in, in Salt Lake? I think so, yeah. Okay. Everything takes place here. So suddenly I'm talking to you. Uh, you're going to take a trip. You, I was talking to you about being on the show, I think, and you said, guess where I'm going? And you told me before you did it. Yeah. And I was happened to be driving. I told my wife, she wanted to go drive and be in the audience. Yes, that would have been great. You decided to go to Arizona to visit Joseph's ward. Right on fast and testimony meeting right so uh, most people know but really quickly fast and testimony meeting is once a month the mormons get together they're supposed to be fasting and they get up we used to call it sob sunday and people get up at the podium and they bear their testimony that's what it's supposed to be of the truthfulness of the church mm -hmm. it's very much like an mlm when people get up and bear witness of the value of the product it's very similar well it's <laughs> open mic Open mic, got that? Open mic Sunday. Open mic Sunday, so you go to Chandler? I did. Chandler, yeah. Arizona, to the LDS ward on Fast Sunday. Yes. And you and Mike Norton yes. did what? Well, 
Um, I was wired like I am with this mic. Um, it, we just we we taped it. So my daughter, who was 13, was in the audience with another woman who had a camera, and there were there was a videographer there. His name is Ethan Crock, and he's he's um, a filmmaker. Mm. He's doing a documentary. Um, he's the one that mic'd me up. His cameraman was there with a camera. So there were, I think, four or five cameras. I was mic'd up because we were pretty sure if I got to the podium and I got to say anything, they would turn the mic off, mm. which they did. Oh. But I was wired. Mm. So it didn't matter. Mm. So I got up there. So I didn't, first of all, I wanted to make sure that Joseph Bishop actually took the sacrament. I was really angry that Sam Young the following Sunday, Sam Young was going to um, have a disciplinary council and possibly be excommunicated for opposing a policy, not a doctrine, but a policy that he felt was dangerous and damaging to the children. And Joseph Bishop, who is a self-proclaimed sexual predator, is still, from what I hear, taking the sacrament, hasn't been in a church court, hasn't been disciplined. The church um, had come out with a statement. There were two statements when my story first came out. And the first one was um, saying that I was no longer a member and I only served part of my mission. And those are all code for she's not as good as us. We can't trust her, can't believe her. The second statement they came out with was, oh, and by the way, in 2010, another woman came forward making the similar allegations against Joseph Bishop. He was not disciplined because we couldn't prove. He said he denied it, so, and we couldn't prove it. So there was no disciplinary action taken. Happens to be the same year that I threatened his life. So here's this bishop, one man in his ward. Somebody's threatening his life. Someone else is saying, hey, he sexually assaulted me, oh, but we're going to believe him instead. Sure. Okay. So having said that, here's this wonderful man, Bishop Sam Young, going to be excommunicated possibly and then Joseph Bishop who raped me in the MTC is taking the sacrament still so he takes the sacrament and in the congregation you know there are pews and there are two aisles coming up and then there's the podium well I didn't go up any aisles I came in the side door and I went right up to the podium so whoever was conducting I think it was um, somebody in the in the um, in the bishopric he, he went on and on and on. And as soon as he sat down, I walked right in the door. And I didn't know what I was going to say. I, every time I tried to think of, okay, what do I want to say? My mind went a million directions. And I knew I was only going to have this little bit of time, small opportunity. So I started off with one of my favorite quotes, which is by Edmund Burke. You know, the only thing necessary for good men or for evil to prevails for good men to do nothing right and I stumbled over those words because I was looking right at Joseph Bishop and he anyway so I start I, I let the ward know that they had a sexual predator sitting right there in their ward and the reason I did that is it's a secret you know if you have a pedophile in your ward you want him sitting next to your children on the same pew would you not want to know the church doesn't think, the Mormon church doesn't think they need to tell the ward members or warn anybody that there's a sexual predator in their midst. I think that's a very dangerous practice. So some people thought that I was doing that to shame him or to call him out. It wasn't to shame him. It was to call him out. But it was to make sure that people knew, hey, 
Okay, you're probably hearing a different story, but that man right there raped me in the basement of the MTC. He's taking the sacrament. Still, okay. he's taking the sacrament meeting. Yeah, taking the sacrament during sacrament meeting. So I watched that. It made national news. It was everywhere. And uh, McKenna and I had agreed that she would come and do the show. And after I watched it, uh, I called McKenna, and I do what I often do. Uh, I kind of just stuck my foot out first before really considering the situation and, and actually I t texted her first and said I don't want to do the show <laughs> I don't want to do the interview the reason I did that was because uh, we run a church here and uh, I feel like the church is like the sanctuary it's sacrosanct it should be impervious to uh, what I saw on the camera that new name Noah did uh, of McKenna. And so I was troubled and I thought it was a bit, um, I, I thought it was showy. I just didn't really get why. And, and, and so I felt like that veil of uh, sanctity had been breached, even though I do not agree with the Mormon church at all. I'm not, but it's like, if it happens there, it can happen anywhere. And then pretty soon everyone is doing it and it becomes and so I just full on told her and she, well, what, what, you know? And so then I called her and I told her just what I just told you. And I say, explain to me what's behind this. And I know that I'm not the most popular person because of the way I am this way, I, you know, but too bad. That's how I think. And I had to be honest with her. She's honest with me. Well, she was so articulate in explaining why she did what she did, that it wasn't a show. It wasn't something to get hits. It was to let the people in the ward know that there was a predator in their midst. Because the Mormon church had not done that. And I really didn't get that when I watched it. I, maybe I should have, but I'm kind of dull. So I, she had to tell me. And, and then it made great sense. I also asked McKenna a really straightforward question. I said, McKenna, do you believe that, that people who are pedophiles or rapists can receive forgiveness in this life and that we can let it go? Because I wasn't aware what, what Joseph Bishop had done or not done in that area. She said, absolutely. So her vendetta was not against the guy who had repented and changed and was contrite and had come to her and said, I I'm so sorry, I want to change. And the church had excommunicated and all this stuff. None of that was there. So her vendetta, it wasn't a vendetta. It was a, this is what's right. And, and, and then I begged her forgiveness. I said, now that I've talked to you for 15 minutes and you've explained this stuff to me, it makes sense now. And uh, so please forgive me and please come back on uh, the show and do the show and she readily agreed. So I had to give that backstory of what has gone on behind the scenes with us and to show you somewhat of, of uh, her character when confronted because I wasn't rude but I was just straight up, man, I just don't like this, you know? And so I just wanna thank you for being um, generous with me on that. Oh, no worries. They come up, I yes. did have to smile at the, your, <laughs> you're getting in my space, you're accosting yeah. me or whatever yeah. you were doing. Yeah. But they took you out and you have yeah. that famous, it's almost like at Tiananmen Square, man. You're like standing there with your hand up and yeah. uh, did they, what were they saying to you? Um, well, 
President Jones is um, in the stake presidency. He was the tall one. I mm -hmm. thought he was Joseph Bishop's son. Oh, yeah, that what came out that way. Yeah, um, so, yeah. I didn't know if he was one. So out of five sons, he has two that are sexual predators or sexually addicted. And, and so I'm asking him that. Are you Are you one of them? Or, I mean, are oh. you trying to silence me because you don't want anyone to know that you're a predator? So it, he wasn't even related. So we went into this room, Ethan and I, and um, President Jones and this other high priest, Hislip or Hesse, I can't remember his name. Um, and they let me talk, and they didn't know the story. They knew part of the story. They knew the part that um, the, the stake president had told them. Wow. The bishop and I, had, his bishop, Bishop Lighthall, and I had conversed several times, and then all of a sudden he wasn't allowed to talk to me anymore. My bishop and stake president were not allowed to talk to me anymore. And this is before we filed our case. So with, with this, stake president he was just trying to understand he didn't uh, he didn't know what the story was he thought I was trying to do the same thing you were by the end and this is also I think KUTV put this out there it's just like a little 15 minute because I was still miked they were actually loving compassionate men but they thought that the case was dropped because Joseph Bishop was innocent not because of the statute of limitations so the information that the church controls and how the narrative flows mm -hmm. is done through the church. Isn't so they it that way. Mm -hmm, it is that way. Yeah. That's those uh, institutions of evil. What do you want Joseph Bishop to do? Confess, confess. Tell the truth. Stand up and say, "Here's I did this. I did this. I did this. Here are the people I did it to." And to who? Well. To the general authorities again and then publicly okay because i think um what's happened i did not go away my attorney can't put a muzzle on me he tries he really does i don't talk about the things that i shouldn't be talking about but i'm not going to be quiet i am never going to be quiet so i what i want is policy change I want when someone goes in to see the bishop, whether it's domestic violence or a sexual abuse or something that is a crime, according to the law, not according to the bishop, but according to the law that law enforcement is called. If there's a, a spiritual issue, that's for the bishop. Bishops aren't trained to deal with sexual abuse, sexual trauma, even domestic violence. They don't know anything about it. So that's a policy that needs to change. It needs to change now. The church needs to be more transparent. Um, if in a congregation there's a, a predator or a sexual, excuse me, a pedophile, people in the ward need to know. I do not feel safe anymore knowing that my grandchildren attend a ward and we don't know, you know, if their primary teacher or their Sunday school teacher is a pedophile. We don't know because there's no background check. We don't know. Just out of curiosity, how would you disseminate that information in a ward of 400 people? If there's a, someone who's been convicted of pedophilia and they, uh, let's say they did it uh, 10 years ago, maybe they've, if they've gone through the repentance process, should the ward members still know? Okay, there's a difference between the repentance process and the sexual offender registry. 
Okay. So you're saying that if they're Those on the registry... Those are crimes. If, Those are crimes. If they they're should, on the registry, mm -hmm. it should be known. Yes. So how would, again, do you have an idea of how that policy would be put into effect in, in religious institutions? First thing I think is if there's someone that... If I'm a pedophile and I come to you as my bishop, Bishop, I'm molesting these primary children. That is still a crime. Sure, just absolutely. Be, just because I'm coming to you and I'm repenting doesn't mean that this doesn't need to be dealt with in the appropriate way. Absolutely. So once this is dealt with in the appropriate way, then the law decides if I'm on a sexual registry or not. Right. And if you are on that... People in your ward need to know. And how would that happen, is my question. In the bulletin? In... So you've got a stake, you've got a ward. You've got... A, if I'm a sexual predator and I want to go back to church, then my name needs to be it needs to be known that I molest children or I did once okay. and, and let's say for example I'm not really a predator I'm I'm 18 years old and my girlfriend is 16 years sure. old well I'm a sex offender yes. so that needs to be explained as well okay. or if I was on drugs or whatever whatever circumstance happens to be I'm a meth head I had a lot of clients who were on meth they did a lot of crazy ass things so, that needs to be explained as well, but the fact that they are potential, there are potential victims sitting there. We owe the potential victims to not victimize them. It's a slippery slope, sister. It's a slippery it's slope. It's a real slippery slope. It's, mm -hmm. It troubles my soul because part, I mean, intrinsic to the Christian faith is uh, if somebody, pedophile, child rapist of 100 children, does 75 years, they pay their crime, they come to church, and they, they are striving to renew, then that is in the past. It's just like I would hate to have my crimes in the bulletin, and my crimes really are no less offensive uh, to people I've harmed along my life. So it's well, just like that slippery slope is it would never end. I disagree. Really? Oh, hell yeah. Hmm. You cheated on your wife. Yeah. Okay. Shouldn't every husband in the ward be aware that I might be scamming on their woman? What you did, is it a crime or is it a sin? Okay, so it's not a crime, but let's say I stole something. Okay. Okay. I went in the 7-Eleven, I took a Slurpee. Okay. Okay. Should they say, listen, when you go on an outing with Sean McCraney, watch your goods. I mean, he stole a Slurpee when he was 18. He went to jail for six months. He got out, but by golly, he's, he's still a danger. That's that slippery slope I worry about. With but we're stinking. not talking about small crimes. We're so, talking about danger to other human beings. Okay, theft is a danger to another human being. It and, could be. Okay, and what if, I, what if I violently punch somebody out at the church that's basketball a game? That's different. That's okay. a violent physical attack. So here's my point. It's not really to, to break this up in debate with you. It's just to say it's a slope that when you put one foot on that thing, we are headed to, because everybody has a different, someone says we, we just want the violent crimes that are dangerous to other people. And then so there's a guy who has taken 400 Slurpees and he, the bishop doesn't tell people he steals Slurpees. And that he's paid his crime, but he has stole Slurpees. He gets in the car on Mutual, and he steals a woman's purse. She's going to freak out that the bishop didn't say he was a thief. I'm just saying, I'm not sure that the solution is in uh, 
is an expo what you're what you're proposing exposing i'm not sure that that is the it's possible in our world to expose the dangers and the threats that we all are to each other in some way or another. I just, I mean, I just, I'm not sure we can do it. I, I don't agree. It doesn't take away from your stance at all or well, what's Yeah, happening. but I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about misdemeanor crimes. So we, we, you're categorizing about, as felony. I'm talking about sexual violent crimes against other people. Okay. Physical violent crimes against other people. So if you have this, this rage in you, Yeah. And you have beat your wife and you punched out a kid in the basketball yeah. and I don't know that and I don't know to be careful of that. Yeah. I should know that. If if you're a violent person. Okay, but if something snaps if you snap like this, I should be made aware of that. But in religion, this you're talking about the religious institution. I can see if you're talking about a school teacher, because that's a public thing, but in a religion, the purpose of the church is to help the, the sinner. It's to, it's to bring Fine. the And so people just automatically assume that I'm sitting in a group where people are not to be trusted. But we also think that this pe group of people out here are to be trusted when there are one, two, three, four of them out there that are sexually abusing their own children. I up here know about that. It is my responsibility as a human being, not yeah. necessarily as a ward member, but as a human being to say, you, and I agree with you're you. If they children, are you're doing, doing that, this. if they are doing that, you are dead. You're dead right. If we do have a serial killer in there, that pastor should say that guy's a serial killer. But if it's in the past, this is my point. I'm talking about. So how? What do you consider to be the past? If it's a crime and they've paid their second. debt. Oh, okay. Well, Joseph Bishop has never paid his debt. Yeah, and so you had every right to go in and do what you did. But let's say this: pedophiles are a different pathology. They just are. It requires a hell of a lot of counseling and a lot of work, personal work, to get past that desire, Very let alone old. acting on that desire. And it may not ever leave them. Correct. So if there's a pedophile in our ward and we don't know, so we think that this pedophile sitting right here, um, we don't know, we think that he's been not touching children for about five years. Is that long enough for you to, to not have to let parents know? He's sitting here, he's interacting with your children, you should be made aware. And then if you don't make anybody aware and, and he molests little Johnny. If he's paid his crime, McKenna, see that's the thing. Yeah, I, I, I haven't know. touched another woman in uh, four weeks, but that's a joke. I haven't touched another woman. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, that woman touched me. Oh yeah, that's I right. haven't touched another woman in, in eight years, okay? My predilection for other women is deep. Could I possibly touch another woman in the future? Absolutely, because that, the desire is always there. But is that a criminal offense to, to desire another woman? Or it's, even it, if you were gay, a, to desire another man? It's, it's, an ethical, it's an ethical problem that people would want to know if you have a serial adulterer leading a church. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I know these are very gray areas. The only point I'm trying to make is, when do we say a person is acceptable as they are that we don't need any more vetting to go on for an individual you're talking about time frames here you're talking about punishment here and i just see it as a slope that leads to totalitarianism it's really a political ideology i see it as 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 present in any regime and so when you speak of it in a religious realm 
it troubles my soul in that way. But it's just, I, I'm not in any way reflecting on what you did. I, I accept it because you were protecting them. It, but I still, I, I still, if I were in a ward, or if I were in a book club, or if I were whatever, where I was taking my children, and somebody in that group that I'm, that I'm trusting is a pedophile, I would damn well want to know. And if you knew and you didn't tell me and my kids were molested, I would hold you accountable. Okay, so I, I'm going to be tough here, but it's going to be in Go right ahead. Would you want, if you joined a new church, or a new, and I have to keep it in church, I can't keep it in book clubs. Uh, I'm talking about, because the, the, the purpose okay. of the religion is for the redemption of the soul. Mm -hmm. If you were to join a new church, would you want everybody in there to know so that they can be careful of who they let who I am? in your car because you've had a DUI, uh -huh. because you have been shoplifted, uh -huh. because you have a felony. Do you want that to be known by everybody? I don't care. I know you don't care, but do you think everyone's like that? Do they want No, I don't think everyone's like that. Yeah. But here's the problem with that. Yeah. When we are not transparent in our own lives, yeah. we set ourselves up and we set people up. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm saying is we're, I don't think everything you've ever done needs to constantly be brought up to you. Okay. I'm saying if you rape someone, if you are a pedophile, if you are a sexual predator, I think people need to be aware of those behaviors. You can say, 10 years ago, this person did this. Hasn't happened for 10 years. This person went to prison. This person is, is reformed. Okay. You can say that. Okay. And, and, and I, I believe that. I do believe that if Joseph Bishop had gotten help, he'd be a different man today. I agree with you. Bishop is a separate case from this because he okay. didn't pay his crime. Separate case from this. Same with pedophiles. I think, it, I, I think that particular type of pathology is very different. But yes, we, it's, we don't need to protect the sinner. We need to protect all those innocent children who don't have any idea what that means, Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we will continue on. A few more things. Seth, how long are we gone? 12 hours. Okay. We, we can keep going. You can cut it. Okay. Let's wrap this up. Let's wrap it up. The free fall. Yeah, free Look, fall. I, I like to wrap up our conversations. You are sitting in what we call a studio church. You were willing to talk to me, and my worldview is extremely different from the worldview of any uh, person that I'm going to name right now. Okay. New name Noah. Yes. John Delenn. Yes. Um, uh, m uh, the guy who does the WikiLeaks. Ryan McKnight. Ryan Ethan McKnight. Dodge. Mm -hmm. I have no no relation at all except uh, John is my friend and Mike is my friend, as a friend would go. But I have no affiliation with them in terms of worldview. Okay. None at all. And I think that there is a place for hope amidst tragedy uh, that will alleviate the free fall. So I just want to hear in your free fall, in your final concluding remarks, do you have a hope? Do you have a desire to arrive someplace through all this? Or do you not even know? Do you care at all about afterlife? Do you care at all about your own, uh, and, I, and I don't mean sin, your own improvement in your life? What, how, and what, how do you guide that? If you can just tell us 
and share with our audience where you are in that place. That's of most interest to me. Where I am in that place. Um, so I went from being super religious yeah. to just a few months ago thinking everything that I thought was true, everything that I based my, my goodness and my wholesomeness and my morality on was all a big lie. So now I'm questioning, okay, so the Mormon church isn't true. The church leaders are not who they say they are. They don't behave the way that they tell us to behave. Um, so I'm, I, don't, I don't know what's real anymore. I don't know what's true anymore. I hope there's a God. I think there's a God, but I don't know. I hope there's an afterlife. But if it's anything like this one, I kind of hope not. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what you've been through, I don't blame you at all. Yeah, so I don't know, you know. I think, I think it's like a pendulum, you know. I was super TBM over here, mm -hmm. and then I was like, I've never been anti God, I've never been atheist, even. Um, and I don't even know that I call myself agnostic. I don't think labels apply here. It's just sort of a free fall. Yeah, it's free fall, wow. you know. And I, and I think at some point, I'll, I'll be able to get back to um, the place where I'm looking to heal spiritually. Mm -hmm. I'm not there yet. Sure. Um, I don't have enough space. I don't have enough room in my life for that. Right now I am extremely consumed in what I'm trying to do in trying to get this message out and let people know that there are a lot of victims out there who don't have a voice or feel like they don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what I, that's, it, it's very consuming. Sure. I just don't, I don't make space in my life for anything else. I don't know that I have enough it, it takes everything I have just to be where I'm at, mm -hmm. to be present with where I'm at. I bet, yeah. Yeah. Is coping, um, has coping just with life in general, very tough for Christy, we've talked about that. Is it the same for you? No. No. Not so much. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I have compartmentalized parts of my life mm -hmm. and they, they ooze out of the box and they just infect every part of your life, sure. every relationship, everything. So going into trauma counseling, EMDR in particular, has, um, has helped me de-emotionalize everything about that. So I was explaining this to somebody earlier. So we have this trauma that happens and it's like a 3D IMAX theater movie and everything comes at you like 3D and that's your trauma and, that's, and you feel it every time you think about those things. And then through EMDR, it becomes just sort of a flat screen IMAX and then just sort of a normal large screen at the theater mm. and then TV in your house. And then all of a sudden it's like a black and white and that that trauma affects you when you think about it in such a small way that it's a color photo and then it's a black and white Polaroid you can tear up and throw away. Mm. So I can talk about my trauma and not be triggered by it. Mm. Um, and that's where I'm at. So I love that imagery. Yeah, that's great. That's EMDR. Okay. Two things. One, I want to make a pitch to you, two or three minute pitch, and then I want to leave it to you. Is this you. MLM? No, there's <laughs> no MLM, sister. Okay. But if you will share with Tintno, uh, and then I want to leave you to have the last say to this audience of what you would want to share, and and three before we do either of those, I want to know how can uh, people help you. How can we help? How can we assist? What can we do in the cause? How can people at home uh, help McKenna Denson in this cause? Let's Is that the first that. question? That's the first one. First I, I, one. I, I mixed them up. 
Yeah, 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 you confused me there a little bit. Yeah. I, I can only have one train of thought okay, at yeah. one time. Um, so I have a GoFundMe page, and I have a Venmo and a PayPal account, um, and that's huge because traveling is expensive. Um, not being able to work is expensive, and right now I'm in the middle of working with Nightline and two um, documentaries. I'm going to be traveling to do the depositions. Um, so that's really important to have. But the love and support that I've received online is absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. One thing I think that people can do themselves is if they don't feel like they have a voice or they can't talk about something that's happened to them, my coming forward for some people has been that igniting of a fire. So they've been able to come forward and at least tell their husband or tell their wife or um, someone else even. So healing starts when we face what's happened to us. And then once you get it out of the box, you start to heal and you find ways to heal. And therapy is, is really important. Um, I would say just trust the people that you're talking to. You can't just share your story because most of us, if you have a traumatic story, it's, it's a lot to put on someone. Sure especially someone that, that you love and, and they can see your pain. So I would just say to find someone that you love and trust and you can share that with okay. that will help you carry that burden. Okay, you guys heard it from McKenna's mouth. Now my MLM, my MLM pitch. Yes, let's hear it. Uh, I see, the audience who know me is sick of hearing this preface, but uh, for probably 35 years, McKenna, I've done nothing but search for religious truth and I spend every morning uh, of my life, um, at least for four to five hours in scripture, uh, not Mormon, just the Bible. I criticize it, I know it's false. I know, um, I know contextually where we have really gone astray. And I just wanna share this worldview with you. Uh, religion and the men and women in religion will always screw you over. Religion is a product of humans. And I know you probably know this, but I, I would urge you to go to God, her, him, it, no God, whatever you want to say to it or him or her. And um, when the time is right, you don't have to worry about all the contraptions of hell and afterlife punishment. That's a foregone conclusion done, taken care of. Uh, chronologically, to use that today is a myth. To use Jesus' return to wipe out the world is a myth. To pick on people because they're gay or because they're straight is a myth. All of that is religion making. But at the appropriate time in your life, whenever that is, and even if it's not in this life, whenever it is, acquiesce your full heart and mind over to that unknown being and say, you show me your existence. You show me. I don't trust men. I don't trust McCraney. I don't trust Mormon. I can't stand what people have done. You have to show me because unless you do, I'm not buying into it. And if you lay it out and you're in your heart at that time are real with that, I would suggest from my perspective and having dealt with people for a number of decades on this, 
that God will respond. That's all I would, that's my pitch. Hmm. Give that invisible, fable, mythic, whatever God everyone says he is, give that God a chance, or she is, whatever. Give that God a chance. And then step back and say, I'll wait till you show me. And then let's see what happens. Okay, and there. then I'll return and report. There's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to slip that in there, didn't had you? Had to. Final word. Thank you. Thank you. Anything, Appreciate you. Anything left? Anything we should be looking for? Looking coming for? Coming up? Any, oh, coming any up. Any dates? News conference? No. Are you going to step up in general conference? Come out the side door? No. And, no. No. Can we suggest you try that one? <laughs> oh, you're going to get all those guys in the hat squirrely all over down yeah, there. Yeah. We, you know, I do have a plan for that. Oh, oh cut. Look out, folks. McKenna, love you. Thank you so much for Thank being you. with us. Appreciate it. And we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. What about all the contradictions in the Bible? How do you explain those? What contradictions? Can you give me some examples? The first one that comes to mind are the accounts of Paul's roadside conversion. In Acts 9-7, it says that men who were with Saul heard a voice but seeing no man. In the second account, found in Acts 22.9, it says, They heard not the voice of him that spake to me. We need to keep in mind, a contradiction occurs when one statement makes another statement impossible. Makes sense. It's important to check the original languages of those two passages, which were both written in Greek. The Greek word akuno is translated hear and understand in both verses. In other words, the men with Saul heard the sound, but they did not understand what they were hearing. Therefore, there is no contradiction in those two passages. Here's another. In Exodus 33.20, God declared to Moses, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Yet in Deuteronomy 5.4, it says that the Lord spoke with Moses face to face. How could he speak to God face to face without seeing his face? That sounds like a contradiction to me. Good question. Let me ask you. Is it possible for a blind person to speak face-to-face -face with someone without actually seeing their face? The phrase face-to-face -face in this text means personally, directly, or intimately. Moses had that kind of relationship with God, but he, like all other mortals, never saw the face or essence of God directly. I guess if you take the time to examine the passages and not read too much into them, you find that different accounts of the same event are actually supportive of each other. That's right. As you read the Bible, you will come across many more seemingly apparent Bible contradictions. For many people, the belief that the Bible contains contradictions and inaccuracies is an excuse for not believing. Many such people have not actually read the Bible for themselves. It has been my experience that, after a little research, all the alleged contradictions and inaccuracies are totally explainable. I see where you're coming from. Just because there are different perspectives of the same story doesn't always make them contradictory to each other. Elder, I couldn't agree with you more. Don't forget to tap that subscribe button and hit the bell icon to be notified of our upcoming episodes. Did you know we have a website? Go to TalkingToMormons.com where you can view and read all our articles. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Check out the description below to learn more.